if you're a, a Christian friend or if you're a non-Christian friend and you're in here and you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, please take one of those home. Uh, we'd love for you to, to have it. Um, we are um, uh, in, the, in the beginning of a series on one of the biographies of Jesus uh, in uh, the, the, the book called Mark. And uh, so this is actually the second week that we're in it. And uh, so it's a, it's a great time uh, to, to dive deep into who Jesus is. Um, if you're a, if you're a non-Christian friend um, that's that's in here, uh, it's great to have you. Um, we commend Jesus to you. Uh, we uh, we want you to know. I want I want you to know that I'm a sinner and so are you. Uh, I reject uh, the psychology book that I was taught in high school and in uh, college that says I'm okay and you're okay. Uh, if you've been around the world long enough, if you looked in the mirror enough times, you know that is a lie. Uh, this world is broken, so are, so are we, and uh, so I'm a sinner, and so are you. Uh, we're all desperately in need for some kind of a saving, and there is some kind of a saving that comes, but it only, come, only comes from Jesus Christ. And uh, so Jesus is a friend of sinners, safe place to be if you are a sinner, uh, especially if you're a sinner who just happens to be a non-Christian. It's a safe place to come and to explore the reality of Jesus of Nazareth. So come with us uh, as we talk about the hero of our lives. I'm not the hero. I'm one of the pastors here, um, but we're not here because of me. Thank God. Uh, we're, we, we meet in a bank. We used to meet in a brewery. It's not about the beer. It's not about the money. Uh, it's about Jesus. And uh, so uh, we're excited um, to be here. Um, you guys who are Christians, uh, welcome. Y'all who are sojourners, welcome. I know some of y'all that you're guests here, uh, Welcome. Um, if you live here in Huntsville, what we want to do is we want to assist you in understanding who Jesus is and what the mission of Jesus is. If you want more information than that and want to know who Sojourn is and what the mission of Sojourn is, we want to help you with that. Uh, at any time in the way that you say, all right, I've got enough information to know that you're crazy and I'm out of here, that's okay too. Uh, but uh, we, are, we are praying for God to build his church. He will. Uh, no matter what, uh, but we're asking him to continue to do his work to bring in uh, the, the people who are not even Christians to become his children, as well as those that uh, are supposed to be a part of this church, uh, because the vision, the mission God has given to us is way bigger than any member, any leader that we have uh, here at this church. So, all right, well, it's, um, it's the first day of daylight saving time. Uh, how many people you don't like daylight saving time? Yeah, okay. All right, how many of you like daylight saving time? All right, I like that it's not going to be dark when I leave the office uh, anymore, uh, although these, uh, the first day is always kind of tough. Uh, let's be honest in here. It's just a small group of us. Uh, we're not on TV or anything. So uh, how many of you all, you're like, all right, I, I, I screwed up somehow with daylight saving time t- today or last night. All right, we got, got, a, got all right, good. We got some honest folks in here. <clears throat> well, I'm going to throw my son under the bus. Uh, Blake messed up, uh, but he messed up in the right way. I always mess up, and I miss it, and so then I'm late to something. Blake, last night, 7.30, he says, I'm going to bed, you guys. And we're like, okay. You know, so he goes on to bed, and we stay up. We're playing Clue and doing some things as a family. And, and uh, then later on, we're like, I wonder why Blake went to bed so early. <laughs> so this morning, I'm talking to him. Uh, he's actually up there playing guitar and working with uh, kids in discipleship uh, right now. Um, uh, but I, I was like, what? 
you know, why'd you go to bed so early? Because, I mean, he, he worked three hours at a neighbor's house, and he biked somewhere, and he, he, biked, he, he went to Cheeburger, Cheeburger, and ate a one-pound burger, and got his, name, you know, got his picture on the wall, and then biked all the way home. And so I'm like, okay, between the exercise and all the red meat, maybe he just needed to go to bed early. Well, what he did is instead of uh, hitting the button once for one hour, he hit it dee, dee, twice, and so he thought it was 9.30. And so he was, he was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to bed a little early. Uh, anyway, so anyway, I, 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 uh, if you're going to screw up, it's nice to, to mess up on, on that end of it. Uh, that's certainly not my problem normally. Um, uh, but listen, we're, we're excited about being in this study of Jesus. Um, we, we, want, we want to gather every week like this and worship the Savior of the world, His name's Jesus. And people have been doing it for thousands of years coming to worship God together. And so y'all are joining into something ancient today. Even as we take communion uh, at the end of our time, and if you're a Christian in here, you don't have to be a member of this church. Uh, you just have to be a follower of Christ to be able to take, take communion. Uh, if, you're not a, if you're not a Christian in here, um, uh, it's, don't, feel, don't feel strange by sitting there when, everybody, when other people get up because what will happen is, is that people, some people will stay and they'll be praying and, and people will be up and down. And so uh, don't feel bad at all if you're a non-Christian and you don't take communion because communion is, is uh, the way that we express the gospel. It's one of the ways uh, in which we're saying Jesus did die a bloody death on the cross. His body was broken. His blood did pour out. It was, it was bloody what took place when God became man and he lived the perfect life that we would never live. He died the death we should have died because he'd rather die than live without you. And so we celebrate that. So at the end of the service, you guys who are Christians, uh, you'll come up and there's bread that's broken and uh, dip it either in the wine or in the juice and then by yourself, or we especially commend for you to get together in small little groups together and huddle and, and somebody pray or somebody say something great about Jesus and uh, just toast him uh, together and uh, take it. Uh, but we, we've been, in doing that, that's something ancient that they've been doing for, for about 2,000 years. And so we, are, we, we believe that, I mean, we, there's many things we do that's modern. Uh, here, I, I love, I love, uh, I'm a tech, I'm a technology uh, junkie. I mean, I like, I like being on the cutting edge of things. Uh, um, however, um, we don't want to just be modern. We want to be ancient as well. And so we're very free as a church. Um, whereas I, I, I grew up, I was not exposed um, to a lot of the ancient things of, of the church. I didn't even know things maybe a hundred years before. I, I, certainly, I didn't know anything about the Reformation in the 16th century, much less what took place in the few hundred years after uh, Christ resurrected. And so this is a church that we have a freedom to be able to be innovative, uh, to be technologically uh, um, savvy, but also to be able to reach back through church history. And if it's biblical and if it's useful for us to be able to draw near to Christ, we've got the freedom to leave it or to take it. Uh, as individuals or even as a church. Uh, so that's just uh, one of the distinctives we have. So why don't we jump into the biography of Jesus and uh, expect God to do some transformation. All right, let's pray. Again, Jesus, you're the hero. Uh, Holy Spirit, um, nothing's going to happen unless you do it. And so we rely upon you. Uh, declare your greatness uh, here. Um, 
What we need is you. What we need is your voice, and we proclaim that's what the Bible is. It's the voice of God. It's the voice of Jesus, the story of God. And so we say, speak to us today, God. Speak through your word. Uh, Unpack to us uh, who you are. Unpack who John the baptizer was. Show us what it means to prepare the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, all right, uh, we are, uh, as I said, we are, we're actually entering the second verse of uh, chapter 1 in, in Mark, uh, Mark chapter 1. Uh, and um, I mapped things out uh, this past week, and um, I'm thrilled about this direction we, we're going to where we're going to take all these stories that Mark has given us, and we're going to take each one and just explore who Jesus is. An awesome opportunity for you, if you're a Christian, to engage your non-believing friends or family or neighbors, uh, to invite them into your, in your house or have lunch together, certainly to invite them to come here where there's the teaching of Jesus the, uh, going on, and then I'm, I'm going to do everything that I can to set things up for you uh, if uh, that if you've got friends that come, uh, that you guys go and you have lunch together, you go spend time together, and you talk about Christ, you talk about Jesus, with the expectation that some of your friends are going to become family, they're going to become into the into the faith, uh, and so we're we're excited about that uh, as we press forward. Um, this series that we're going to be in, uh, we're just going to again, we're just going to walk through these stories that Mark has given us. Uh, and it's going to take us 21 months uh, to walk through the book of Mark because we're just not, we're not in any kind of rush uh, to get through uh, the, the life and times of Jesus Christ. And because we're going to be in this for a while, uh, there's some, um, um, some other uh, resources that I'm going to recommend to you so that you can dive deep. Um, and so there's a bunch that I have. I'm going to tell you one today for you guys to purchase, and it's called The King's Cross by Timothy Keller. Tim Keller's a pastor out of Manhattan. Uh, he is one that I consider an adjunct professor for our church here, uh, as well as some others who really speak into who we are, who Christ is. And uh, this is, it's not a full commentary, but it's taken, everything's taken from the book of Mark. Uh, basically says the first half is all about the king, and the second is about the king's cross. Uh, and uh, so a uh, great resource. I'm reading through it as well. There will be some other commentaries that I recommend to you. Let me throw this out to you. If you don't have one good commentary in your home uh, that you have access to, um, let me tell you the one that I, I'd recommend for you to do. It's by, by Don Carson or D.A. Carson. It's called The New Bible Commentary. And it's a huge book, but it covers uh, Genesis to Revelation. Um, it's not going to be as, as uh, uh, thorough as... Um, a 66-book collection, um, but it's tremendous. And so if you, need, if you don't have one commentary that covers the whole Bible, I recommend that. He is a very trusted uh, biblical scholar um, and uh, very grateful for, for Don Carson. So, um, all right. Did we already pray? We did? All right, well, let's jump in. Um, we'll pray some more, too. Um, guys, it's pretty simple today. Uh, but profound. When I, when I, when, when you walk away, <clears throat> I want the phrase "prepare the way" to be echoing in your ears. I want it to stay with you. I want it to be like a song 
that you can't get out of your head. Uh, ironically, of course, we've been singing that already. And so maybe just to prepare the way, prepare the way. Maybe that'll just be rolling through your mind and through your heart. Um, I, my prayer is that as you drive this week, that you hear the whisper of God, prepare the way. That as you look at the people that are around you this week, that you hear God saying, prepare the way. And we're going to discover what that means. All right, Mark 1, uh, 2 through 8. Here's 2 and 3. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So, um... Mark, and uh, we talked last week how it's really, it's, the, it's Peter that's behind this. Uh, Mark is, uh, was a disciple of Peter. Peter was the eyewitness who's telling his story. He's telling the biography. Uh, Mark's the one who penned it. Um, Mark here is quoting uh, Malachi, Deuteronomy, and Isaiah uh, to talk about John the baptizer, or some will call him John the Baptist. Don't, don't be mistaken by thinking that means he's from a deno- the Baptist denomination. Uh, nothing wrong with the Baptist denomination. There's many parts of me that are very Baptistic, uh, but there was no denomination. He was a baptizer, and that's uh, what, what he was known for. Um, and so he, uh, this first part, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. That's both from Exodus 23.20 and also from Malachi 3.1. The second part uh, is from Isaiah 43, 40 verse 3, that said, A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Uh, and so what we have is, is we have um, these, this prophecy that said the Messiah is going to come, but before he comes, there's going to be one that is, that is going to stand up and he will be notable as well. He'll be noteworthy. And uh, John, John is looked at as the last of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, there was a period of silence for hundreds of years to where there was no prophetic voice, and it was a dry time uh, in, uh, in the Israelites, in, in the days of the Israelites, uh, in their people. And uh, I want you to know this, that there's times that, it, that are in your life that, it's, that life's just going to be, it's going to be dry. There's going to be times in which the circumstances are, are very hard. There are going to be times in which it feels like God's far away. He's not. But our, our feelings are, are, are messed up, and we feel like he's far away. I want you to know that, that when God has been silent, there's going to be a point in which God is going to explode on the scene, and he's going to say, hey, I'm up to something big. And that's what he did through John the baptizer, is he showed up, and he said, listen up, everybody, listen up. Let's talk about the Savior and the, the reason why you need a Savior. So during your dry times, during the tough times, just know, even if it feels like God is silent, or it feels like God's not present, he is, and when it feels like God is silent, wait, wait, because he's going to speak. He's going to speak to you. John, uh, verse 4 here, John appeared, uh, baptizing in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. All right, so uh, it, it's just told us that he's preparing a way uh, he's making straight uh, a path for our God. Uh, so what this, is, what this is saying is, is that it's, it's as if John the Baptist was the one that was preparing a runway for the connection of God to the connection to sinners. That's what he's doing. 
Um, and that that's what God wants to do in Christians in general, is that you're a runway that God wants to use. Uh, a prepare not only a path, but to prepare a straight path. Um, it takes us back to uh, elementary days um, and middle school days when they, they told us uh, the, uh, the shortest route between two points is what? A straight line, right? And uh, I, I don't know about you guys. Well, actually, I do know about y'all because you're like me. We're not good straight lines to Christ. We're, we're more... We're more like um, the, uh, um, these mountain roads, you know? I mean, it, it's, let's say, I mean, if you're trying to, to get up the back way uh, to, to uh, uh, Ruby Falls, but you're going Fort Payne and the back Georgia way, and you stop at a, at a uh, little uh, convenience store, a little, little service station along the way, and, the, and you ask them, well, how much further to Chattanooga, to Ruby Falls? And they say, well, it's about... 25 minutes as the crow flies. So I know stinking crow. I know what the reality of that means. It's like 50 minutes as we drive down these roads, you know. Um, We just naturally are not straight paths. But but I want you to know something. If God had wanted, if, if he'd wanted perfect paths to him, he would never have used us in the first place. He would have just done it all himself. So listen. You guys who are crooked paths, like me, God uses crooked paths. He uses you. You don't have to be a perfect straight path. But if, you will, if, if you'll even grasp that, that God uses us when we're imperfect, guess what that does? That in and of itself will start to pull some of the curves off, and you'll be straightened. God will prepare you to be a better runway, a better landing path for people to get connected to God and who he is. That's the beauty of, beauty of grace. So John appeared, um, and uh, let's, let's go even backwards of, of, uh, of this person called John the Baptizer. John is, uh, is an extreme uh, example of, of a person. Uh, I mean, just there, there is none that, that were like him. He's the only one that we know of that the Bible said he was actually saved in the womb, that he was filled with the Spirit while in his mother's womb, okay? Now, that's not the norm of how people come to faith in Jesus Christ. The norm is they, they, they hear about Jesus Christ, you know, God changes their heart, and they, and they give faith to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus Christ. But John is an example, though, to show us, first of all, that we cannot save ourselves. God has to be the saving one. He has to change our heart, and from a change of heart, then that's how we follow him. And uh, that's, that is the case. We can't, he, I mean, he could not take any credit for his salvation. Neither can we. Neither can we. Um, so we got this baptism, this baptism. And so what, what is this baptism? It's a baptism before Christ. I mean, why and what was it? It was called a baptism of repentance. And what happened here is this was, this was a baptism for those who said, I worship God and I want to follow him. That I'm, 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 changing, I'm changing my ways. Um, what you have here is you have people that, many, much like the Jews, uh, that they would place faith in God and uh, they trusted him. They trusted him for a Messiah. God would, God would save them. But you also now have, 
you're just getting to this strange crossover where Jesus is on the scene to where, okay, from, from a point forward, you must, you must trust in the person and the name of Jesus Christ. It's got to be through the named name of Jesus Christ. And uh, so you, you have these folks that it's before, before they even knew about that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, and, and so they weren't, they weren't Christians yet. Um, they weren't faced with the real personified Messiah, the one who went to the cross yet. But they were about to encounter him. And so this was a baptism. This baptism did not proclaim that they were saved, nor did this baptism save them. Um, but it did show those who worshiped God and wanted to follow him. And uh, as we think about what our baptisms are, this was a baptism that actually came before the clarification of Christ and before faith in Christ um, that, that dealt with people who were, who were drawn, that, that were, were spiritual, uh, but they weren't saved yet. And it's, it's very much like some of your friends that you have, that they're spiritual people. Maybe they've got a respect for God. They may even have a respect for Jesus, but they've got some pretty wacky ideas of who Jesus really is. It's not biblical. It's not, it doesn't line up with, with who he is. I, I mean, I, I, I've got some Mormon friends, uh, and uh, they're better people than I am. They're, they're better than most Christians, uh, uh, Mormons, because they're, they're so value-driven and so moralistic, um, and they'll use some of the same terminology about God and about Jesus, but the Jesus they believe in, and actually through the story that they tell, is not the same Jesus. It's not the same Jesus. And so we have to be very careful that, that we don't, we're not just open to anything that sounds good or, is, or people have good intentions. Um, we've got to make sure that we say, well, God, whatever you did is what's accurate, and we need to line up with with that. And so um, be encouraged. God is bringing people in your life and has people in your life that they are spiritual. Or they may be agnostic, they may even be atheistic, um, but, but God has a purpose in the friendship that he has between the two of you that you are going to be a part of preparing the way of the Lord in their lives. Verse 5. And all of the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins. And so uh, um, uh, there's, there's uh, three instances uh, in John, Mark, John and Mark that talk about places in, that, uh, that John did baptisms. Here we've got the River Jordan. Uh, John 1.28 talks about him baptizing in Bethany beyond the Jordan. And in John 3.23 talks about him baptizing in Anon near Selim. Uh, and um, again, one of the keys that took place here were they, they were confessing their sins. And uh, um, so they weren't, they weren't there yet. They'd not come to Christ yet. They, they, were, they were in the, the there was a, a, um, a pre- preceding stage before they met Jesus. Now, now let me pause and just say there's, there's three areas that you need. If you're a Christian in here, you need to be praying for consistently, diligently. You need to be praying for God to do awakening. You need to pray for God to do revival. You need to be praying for God to do the work that precedes both of those. All right? Here's the difference. Do you all know the difference between awakening and revival? Um, Revival has to do with Christians that maybe are are not surrendered 
Um, they need, they've got uh, sins that need to be confessed and they need to repent and God wants to, wants to fire them up. That's what revival is. Awakening is when God takes people who are dead in Christ and he makes them Christians. It's, it's regeneration that takes place. So one, revival has to do with Christians strong near to Christ. Uh, uh, awakening has to do with unbelievers coming to Christ. But don't forget this, this part here, which John the baptizer is really walking out, is, is you have this period of time in which you're, you're proclaiming God. You're saying, come, come to Christ. Come to Christ. And uh, so we need to pray that God does all of that. God Help us with what happens before, but do a revival and do awakening. Ask God to do that within our, within our city. Verse 6, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. Let's, let's uh, unpack John a little bit more. Um, his clothes that he wore were a lot like the Old Testament prophets. Uh, it was something where he, he stood out uh, among, among others. It was something where he, was, he lived an ascetic life which means one that they discarded comfort um, specifically the, and strategically. Uh, his food, um, dried locusts, uh, honey. Um, uh, this, uh, just, uh, don't think of this as saying that locust was the only thing that he ate, but think of this as saying he ate insects. Um, uh, Leviticus actually, um, I think it's might have been three, um, but... Uh, it spoke of uh, certain insects being uh, clean food, um, uh, kosher food. And uh, locusts and other insects were a part of this. And so this is what made up, uh, made up his diet. Um, he was one that took what's called a Nazarite vow. Um, a Nazarite vow was either a temporary or a lifetime vow that was made by which you consecrated yourself to God and you, it was revealed by abstinence from certain things. Um, that means no longer would you, you would ne- you'd not cut your hair, you would not ha- be in contact with dead bodies, um, and you would abstain from everything that had to do with vineyards. You'd abstain from wine, you'd abstain from grape juice, which obviously became wine quickly, but you'd abstain yourself from grapes. You'd abstain yourself from raisins. That's what the Nazarite vow was. You had Samson. Uh, he, he was a Nazarite. You had Samuel. Took a Nazarite vow. Uh, had others that did it for short, short term. Some, some of them uh, lifetime. It symbolized consecration to God. It was a way of them saying, I am not my own. Um, we're in the middle of, of Lent. Um, now, we don't officially promote the Christian calendar, um, although I, I, I appreciate the Christian calendar, um, and s- I know we got some folks that, that um, are taking part in, in Lent. Uh, we had several in the first service. Any of you guys in here, you're doing something uh, this year to engage in Lent? Okay, all right, yep, several, several of y'all in here. Um, I, had, I was at lunch with somebody uh, this week, and they said, all right, Dave, explain to me Lent, uh, because my understanding is, is people say, all right, I'm going to swear off having sex with my girlfriend or I'm going to, you know, I'm, no, I'm going to not get drunk, you know, during this time. And it's like, well, you know, shouldn't, shouldn't, be the, shouldn't that be what we do all year and not just during Lent? And I'm like, okay, you got the wrong idea, bud. Uh, I said, what Lent is, is when you abstain from good things. You abstain from, from gifts, uh, things that are blessings for a time for you to understand that 
God is the real blessing. And, uh, or, or there may be disciplines that you add into your life uh, that it's like, okay, God, I, I, want, I want to reflect my commitment to you and, and, and to be healthy in my spirit or in my mind or in my heart or in my body, some things by which I'm going to do these things as a response to you and a reflection of how great you are. That's the way people uh, treat time in, in Lent. Uh, you, you don't have to just take something out for Lent. Some people, they'll put something in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to do, do things that God uh, would have me to do during these 40 days. Um, it's, it's a, uh, it's, it's also um, has some uh, similarities to, to fasting. Uh, fasting's like a Nazarite vow. Again, temporarily abstaining from things that are a blessing to focus on God as being the primary blessing. Abstaining from things that are needs in our life sometimes uh, so that God, uh, we, we have this recognition that God is what we really need. Um, and so, uh, so, so um, there are times in which God is going to press into you to say, all right, for this time, do this, or for this time, don't do this. Uh, there may be some times in which God does what, what I'd call a, a spirit-led personal legalism, where he says, for the rest of your life, don't do this or, or do this. And, and we're going to unpack that a little bit more in just a few minutes of, of how, to, how to discern between those things, how to make sure that you, you press forward there. But, but here's one thing you want to make sure you don't over-spiritualize Nazarite vows. Because um, whether you're sitting here this morning or whether you may be listening to this someday in, in the future, it would be easy, especially with some, where we're going to get to in a minute, uh, out of Luke where Jesus said that, that John was that there was none greater that was ever born of a woman. And so it's like, all right, if you want to emulate, you want to emulate Christ first, but like, dude, I mean, if there's somebody that Jesus says, this is, this is like the best person ever, ever born, you know, you want to emulate him, so you, so you, you may just make a, an, an incorrect conclusion, say, well, I want to do whatever John did. A Nazarite vow? Okay, sign me up. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to cut my hair anymore. You know, I'm not going to get her, I can't go to any funerals. You know, I'm uh, forget my, the raisins and, and uh, grapes or no more welches, no more wine. You know, you may, you may do that. Um, what can happen is, is that you can start, you can get into a place of being an ascetic where what you do is you end up seeking sanctification or acceptance from God by, by punishing yourself or making life unnecessarily difficult. Uh, some people, even these days, they do it by spiritualizing poverty um, to where they're like, okay, what, what needs to happen in my life is, is I, need to, I need to sell everything that God's given me and, and ha- have a vow of poverty. Um, if God says to do that, then you absolutely do that. The problem is when we cross over from the things that God says are for us and we start making it broadcast to everyone else to where we say, God has told me to do blank. Now everyone else, you need to follow suit. Follow me as I'm doing something that's extra biblical, something outside of what Scripture has said, when that becomes something by which we tell everyone we put an emphasis on the, the discipline, or we put an emphasis on the good works instead of having a heart for Jesus and a heart for others. Some of you have taken some of these concepts and they've become monastic in a, in a wrong fashion. Uh, the monastic communities, uh, the monks, um, were tremendous. Uh, 
so many of them were tremendous examples of what it means to love Jesus and be on mission the way they love their cities. They're in community, they live together, but they were daily in the lives of people in their surroundings. And they brought great gospel message and great gospel witness uh, in what they did. But you also have some monks or some nuns, you've got other people that what they ended up doing is they isolated themselves, took themselves out of the world, took themselves away from the other sinners that Christ came from, and just did things on their own. And that is not what God has called us to do. We're not to disengage from the mission that God has for us. So, again, it's, it's, it's okay to listen to, to spirit-led extra-biblical personal legalisms that God tells you, but it's not okay to, one, impose those upon others, and two, it's not okay to seek acceptance from God from through them because that's a shrinking of the cross. That's basically saying, God, what you did on the cross is not enough. I need to punish myself. I need to make things harder from me. I need to be, I need to have, I need to have less to show that God loves me or that I'm a good Christian, and the far extreme would be of, of, of poverty theology would be prosperity theology, which would then just say the, bit, the complete opposite that says I have to have more to show that God loves me or that I'm a good Christian. Guys, I'm telling you, you don't need to seek out more persecution or more difficulties or more toughness in life. You live in a broken world, and God is going to ordain plenty of that in your life. He's going to allow for plenty of it. Pray and say, God, remove it as you please, but also say, pray, God, pray pray, and ask God, Lord, leave it as long as it needs to be to change me into uh, who you need, who you want me to be. Another thing about John, um, the disciples of him, they were known, they were known, um, for the prayers that were taught to him by John. Um, Luke 11, 1, uh, we're not going to go to it, but talks about this where the disciples of Christ said, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. They were not saying, Jesus, we want you to teach us what he taught them. They were saying, John taught them to pray, and we want you to teach us how to pray too. And so that's another great thing about John is he was a prayer and he taught others how to pray. This is what Jesus said about him in Luke 7. This is he, verse 27, this is he of whom it's written, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. None is greater. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. I mean, Jesus said there's none that were greater now, by the way, if you want more about the Nazarite vow and, and how John took the Nazarite vow, Jesus didn't take the Nazarite vow. Just keep reading through verse 35, and you'll see that, that people rejected John because he didn't, even though he didn't take, uh, he didn't drink, he didn't eat, and then they rejected Jesus even though he did eat and did drink. But Jesus said, there's none greater. I mean, why in the world would he say that? And what is it that we should glean from John, from John here? None greater. Well, I think we need to see in this man that he did what he did because he loved God and was passionate for God and because he lived for the things that God prioritized and he loved those whom God loved. That's, I mean, as you look at his life, 
He loved God. He was passionate for God. He lived for the things that God prioritized. It's like, okay, what's on God's agenda? That's what I want to put on my list. And then finally, he loved those that God loved enough to engage them the way that God wanted them to. And he was an example, I think, of someone who was all in. He was a whatever-it-takes man. And that's what God wants of you men. That's what he wants of you women. That's what he wants of you kids. He wants you to say, my life's not my own. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. He was, he was willing to be uncomfortable. No, that's not even fair enough. He's willing to sacrifice. See, this, this life of Nazarite vow, basically what this meant was he was willing to do whatever God said. He was willing to let go of whatever God wanted him to let go of. Anything. And so it looked like he let, he let go of comfort. He let go of having a diversity of, of food. I mean, I, I got to be honest with you guys. In my life, I'm a, uh, I'm a thrill seeker, adrenaline junkie. Um, I love taking risks. Um, and I, I, I mean, I, I like this dude, Jeb Corliss. I don't know if you know who this guy is. Uh, this guy who jumps off of mountains uh, and he has a squirrel suit on. So it's, it's, it's like he looks like a bat. And so before he ever pulls a chute, he'll go down a, a thousand feet and maybe skim, skim the, the surface of a mountain before he pulls the chute. And I'm like, oh, first time I saw it, I was like, I want to do that. And then January, he did this one where he was headed down, he's skimming this rock, and then he hit the rock at 120 miles an hour and like busted up his legs, you know? And he's in recovery right now. And... And you know what? I still want to do it. I am a crazy man. Now, now Danielle's not going to let me do it down the face of a rock, all right? Just throw me out of a plane and just let me fly around like a squirrel. You know, that's, uh, I'm fine with that. But I, I love to do these, I love to do things like that. So big risks and big faith, like starting a church. And I mean, it, I'm, I'm all in. But you know what I don't like? I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like the little things. Even as a pastor, sometimes I'm, I'm, uh, I'll be sitting in our, our, our living room and I'm doing some prep. I'm, I should be in my office where it's private to where the kids, kids know that it's private, but I, I'm, I'm not respecting them enough for that. And so I'm doing my work and then and they, they come in and, and uh, hey, Dad. And, they, you know, it's like, no, oh, don't bother me. You know, oh, I'm doing Jesus' work, you know. And, and, uh, and, and Jesus, uh, so many times he's like, no. Dave, I'm, I'm giving you, I sent, my, I sent your son to you to do, for you to do Jesus' work. Put your computer down. Put the Bible down. You know, don't pass over this opportunity. I just don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't like, I don't like being thrown out of my schedule when, when I don't want it. And so isn't it weird, though, how, how we're that way? It's, man, we can have huge faith for certain things, but really when it comes down to just the levels of comfort, that's, that's where we really... That's where we, we lose it. Or food. I mean, what if, what if God said, man, no more, no more five guys, you know, and, and burgers and fries, you know? Part of us would revolt and we'd turn into Buddhists or something maybe. I don't know. And, and uh, I mean, what, 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 if he, what if he said these things? What if he said, I mean, what if the calling of God meant that you're going to lose your name and your reputation because people were going to think you're a freak? People are going to call you a fanatic because of your stance for Jesus Christ. Are you willing? 
Are you willing to give up anything for Jesus? Are you willing to give up everything for Jesus? Luke 14, says this, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Renounce all, everything. That doesn't mean poverty theology to where you go sell everything. It means you renounce everything. It means as a Christian that you look at the things that you think you own, the things that you think that you control, and you say, no, it's Jesus. Here's what you need to do today or sometime this week. You need to go through, you need to list the things you own, you need to list the things or people you're responsible for and over and put, put them down, put your name by it, and then cross out your name and beside it put Jesus. Renounce it. I'm not saying abdicate, abdicate the things or the responsibility. I'm saying understand the real responsibility of what it means to be a steward of what God has placed in your life and around you. To say, it's not mine. I renounce it all. That means that God can do whatever he wants in shifting what he owns. Someday he's going to do that with your life. It's going to be over. Chess piece, boom, down, you're out. Moving on. Renounce everything. Be all in. Are you, are you ready? I mean, I know some of you are. You're stirred. You're stirred by that. Like, that's where I'm at. Or at least you're like, that's where I want to be. I want to be that. You know what? That's enough. Honestly, that's enough because it's the heart. Just say, all right, God, I want to be there. That's, that's what God wants. He wants your heart to where you just go, okay, all right, God, I, I renounce it all. I own nothing. It's not my time. It's not my talent. It's not my treasure. It's not my abilities. It's not my body. It's not, it's not my years. It's not my marriage. It's all yours. Do with it what you want, God. Verse 7, he preached saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie. This, this uh, really where we're headed, where God, what God wants to do in this time is, is in one, one way, I mean, he wants us just to be completely, completely devoted and surrendered to him. And the other what that leads to is a place of preparing the way for others. That's how we can prepare the way for others is being, being ones where we, we give up everything. We renounce everything, that everything is God. I believe, I mean, I know you want to be used by God. You want to be available to God. You want to be used by him. And I believe this. I believe our availability and our usability is going to be relative to our humility he said this. He said, Man, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap of God. I mean, Eric Morgan yesterday in, in the middle of, in the middle of our, our, our intro to sojourn class was an awesome time that we had, had together. And some of y'all are guests, man. I invite you to come, come with us in the next class that we do. Find out more about Jesus and the mission God has us on. But he talked about this aha moment that he had where it was just like, it's like, 
Understanding that God is God and he can do and will do whatever he wants. That's a huge quantum leap that every one of us needs to go through to where we don't just, we don't just ascend to the, the data, the information, like, yeah, God's sovereign and God's in control. No, I mean to where it hits you. It's like, oh, God is God. And he's going to do whatever he wants. And that's good. It's a good thing. Some of you all probably need to tip over in that place of sovereignty even today. Just say, you know what, God, I've been holding too tightly. It is my control. It's not about that. Um, I, I believe our level of obedience to Christ is going to be directly tied to whom we think should tie whose sandals. Do you know what I do many times? I, I think that God owes me. I think God owes me. I'm like, God, I've, I've, I've worked hard. I've given up a lot of things in my life to follow you, to lead, to lead people and, and just, you know, opportunities and whatever it may be. I, I've given up to where basically, here's what I'm doing. I put, my, I put my foot up like this. I'm like, God, I've done all these things, so hey, tie my shoe, Jesus. You owe me because I'm doing these things for you, right? Wink, wink. Jesus, step up. It's time to tie my shoe. Folks, God does not owe us anything. He doesn't owe us anything. But yet, you know what the irony of it is? Jesus did stoop down and tie our shoe on the cross. He not only washed our feet, he paid a price that would wash our soul, bring us into his family. He stooped, this God, he stooped. And I want you to know something. If, if we think that God owes us, we will never be in awe of Christ. If you think he owes you something, you'll never be in awe of Christ. And if you're never in awe of Christ, there will never be a sense of urgency to share Christ with others. Now analyze it with where you are preparing the way and about being a light to, Christ, to, to others and sharing, speaking who Jesus is that if you're, there's a big deficit of that, it's probably because somewhere in your life you think God owes you something, that he's holding out on you. And if you stay there, you're not going to be in awe of him. But when you know that he doesn't owe you anything, and yet he gave you everything, because he's everything, you'll be in awe. It'll blow you away. I ask God, Please, Lord, help me to never recover from what the realities of grace is. Help me never to recover from what really took place on the cross for us and for me. And when we're in awe like that, man, there's an urgency that we have for our friends and we prepare the way. Last section here baptize you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit you know what you guys this is just an incredible way of saying John did his part but he couldn't he could only prepare the way he couldn't be the way um, God's called John and it's called us to be people that we do an external call to people God's the only one that can do the internal call. The external call is this. 
The external call is we tell people about Christ and we invite them. Come, jump into the family of God. Come to Christ. He was doing it by proclaiming repentance and telling them to come. We can do the very same thing, but they will never come by an external call. They'll only call when God shows up and Jesus says, now come. He spoke about this in John 10, 14 to 16. He said, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep who are not of this fold. Listen, listen. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice so there will be one flock and one shepherd. You can call them all that you want and we're called to, we're called to call them, invite them. But the time is going to come when Jesus calls them and when he calls them, they're going to come. Just like if you're a Christian, it's what he did to your life. He called out your name and through the deaf ears got blown away and you heard your master. He gave you a new heart and you responded to him. That's what God wants to do. As we end, I I want to take you all back to the very first part of this, this section here where he said, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. Guys, I believe it's applicable to unbelievers who are in your life and in my life that God has sent you to be before their face to prepare the way. God has you in their life. You don't have to be the Savior. You don't have to be the way. You just got to tell them about the way. You just got to be ones who, I mean, just you tell them the gospel, but you be the gospel as well. It's a both end of what you say and what you do. And that's what we want, want to press you guys into. We're going to pray, you guys, and two primary areas that I want you guys to, to process through. And that's one is yourself first. Just say, all right, man, am, am I all in? Have I renounced all? And if you hadn't, you need to. And if you're not a Christian in here, that very first step of renouncing everything and, and surrender to Christ is vital. But Christians, we've got to do that too. Not to be saved again, but for us to walk the way God wants us to. But secondly, I want you to think about who God has placed in your path. Who are the unbelieving friends, strangers, enemies that are in your life that God wants you to be the, be the gospel and tell the gospel to? Let's pray.